haven't all guessed yet. <clears throat> um, if if we had your T-shirt size and, and you're part of the youth group, you have a T-shirt. So that's that's why we're wearing the yellow shirts. Our, our theme this year was, uh, like I said, was guard your heart above all else. And we talked a lot about identity. We talked about doing our devotions. So today, I want to talk about the course of your life, uh, mostly geared towards our graduates, but it definitely applies to every single one of us today. And you know, I was thinking about reminiscing as, as I'm playing music for graduation at Lingle here this afternoon, I was reminiscing about my graduation 23 years ago from LFL. And, you know, standing up here today, giving Bibles out to Southeast students and Torrington students, you know, that's a little hard to do because they're not LFL students. <laughs> not, not really. Um, I am actually very grateful for every single student that we've encountered and had time to spend time with and talk to and just enjoy. Um, but as I was reminiscing, I was thinking about a song that I used to sing as a kid and it fits so well with Proverbs 4.23. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Come on. I know there's some others out here that know it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And there's several choruses I found out. I remember like two or three growing up, but there's like eight or ten. Um, the song would go on to say, Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Or be careful, little mind, what you think. Or be careful heart whom you trust, be careful mouth what you say, and so on and so on. You know, when I would sing this song, I didn't think much about it as a kid, right? I mean, you're singing songs as a kid. I mean, as adults, we sing songs up here, and we don't oftentimes think about the words that we're singing, do we? Uh, but the words of that song have echoed in, in my ears this week as I thought about the words of Solomon in Proverbs 4.23. And it says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And that is the New Living Translation. I love how it reads. It determines the course of your life. Because everything that we do stems from inside of our heart, deep inside of us. Those words have been echoing in my mind for over a year as we sat down and prepared to uh, begin to fill in for, for Caleb and, and what, were, what were we going to do and it just became the theme for the whole year. Because as I stopped and I thought about my 41 years on the planet and my time as a graduate and my time as a high school and junior high student, it's kind of like, what did I learn? And not to say that Pastor David and Bob didn't try to do a good job of teaching us because they did. I was young and dumb and didn't want to listen. <laughs> uh, that, that actually might still apply today too. Um, but, but, you know, as I sat and thought about all that could be or should be taught in youth group, this was, the, this was the verse. Because if we can learn to guard our heart, then everything else that we do, we will succeed at spiritually. And that is of utmost importance. So, so what does it mean to guard our hearts? I mean, really. I mean, do we like, do we like, grab a guy with a, uh, a spear and stand there and have him guard our heart? Be like, hey, guard this 
thing. And, and by the way, the heart isn't the, the pumping, beating muscle that's pumping blood into your vessels and veins right now. It's not sending the oxygen. We're talking about that center of emotion that the Bible talks about. It's the place where your soul is at. It's the place where you have emotion from when you get sad or angry or excited. It comes from the center of your being, the very person that you are. The heart, it's fragile at times. It can be misleading and misunderstood. We are told to follow our heart when it comes to love and dating. We are told to follow our hearts when it comes to what job we should do or what college we should go to. But can it be trusted? Honestly, can, can our heart be trusted? You see, the heart is tricky. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next point or the next couple of points. But, but let's continue with, with guard your heart right now. Guard means to preserve, to keep, maintain, protect. It caused to be safe from danger, implying a relationship with the protector. Or it can mean spared or kept safe, pertaining to being free from danger. And I like this last part. As an extension of keeping a valuable hidden. I really think that's the intent of Solomon's teaching here in this verse. Is we are to keep a valuable hidden we are to guard, protect our hearts because it's precious, it's feeble, and it's easily misled. Guard it above all else, beyond all that you would do. It must be guarded with every ounce fiber that you have in your body. The problem is we fail to see the need for this. I know I did. As a junior high and high school kid, I thought, Shh, what do I need to guard my heart for? There's a cute girl over there. I just need to give my heart to her and I'll be okay. Or, well, I've got a job. I've got money. That's all I need, right? I can go buy whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. It's okay. But you see, I wasn't building up self-control and I wasn't guarding my heart with self-control. It wasn't for the lack of Pastor David trying and the other youth leaders in my lives. I like the way also the message puts this verse, and it's up on the screen for us. It says, keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Everything that we do stems from inside of our soul and our being, which is why we truly, to, to truly understand how we need to guard our hearts with vigilance and diligence, we need to understand that there are three steps to guarding our hearts. And we need to understand their importance. And the first of these steps is we need to know our identity. Now, I know you kids, you're going to have to hang with me. You've heard a lot of this already, but that's okay. It's good for us to hear it again. It's good for me to teach it again. Because I need to hear it again, too. Know your identity. For those of you blank fillers, that's your first point. Um, Genesis 1 through 3, that's our identity. That's where it starts at. If you want to know what your identity is and how to guard your heart, you need to understand what your identity is and where it comes from. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So verse 27 says, God created mankind in his own image, 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean for us to be created in the image of God? I mean, we know we have an image, right? We have this personality and we have uh, who we are and what we look like. Does that mean what God's image looks like? Is like when I look in the mirror, God looks like that. But then I see my wife, she looks different and my son and my nieces and nephews and all the kids and youth. So does God like have multiple personalities? Is he schizophrenic? I don't think so. So what is our true identity found? In the image of God. Image means likeness. That which is a pattern, a model, or an example of something. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. Man is the crown of creation. There is a divine conference among the members of the Godhead before man is created. Something not seen at any other step of creation. Up to this point, God has not had another conversation with the rest of the Godhead. It's just... He said it and it was done. But when it came to man, he sat and he talked. And Warren goes on to say, some of the angels had already rebelled against God. And he certainly knew that man, what man would do. He knew that we would rebel too. Yet in his love and grace, he molded the first man in his image. Referring to man's personality, his mind, his will, emotions, and freedom. And freedom is a key. We're going to talk about that today too rather than his physical appearance. So everything, the image that we have that God gave us starts right here in the center of our emotions in our heart. That's part of why God tells us to guard it. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I mean, we've... Most or all of us have read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. What other part of creation did God breathe his literal breath of life into? Well, I've read through it quite a lot, and I haven't seen any other part of creation that God literally breathed his breath of life into and gave that being life. See, God's literal breath of life is in each side of every single one of us. That's part of what forms our identity and our likeness in God. What other part of creation did God give dominion to? There is no other part. Part of our likeness of being in in God's image is that he gave us dominion to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, to have a relationship with one another in a way that none of the other part of creation can. I mean, what other part of creation did God create in his image? No other part of creation carries God's likeness on it or in it like humanity does. We have God's breath of life living inside of us, giving us personality. He gave us his freedom to be able to create and to make choices as he does. To have thoughts, to have love, to have emotion. One of the things we talked about was how God gave us dignity when he breathed his breath of life into us. And there's no other part of humanity that has dignity. Guys, what does dignity mean? Do you remember? Yes, Joseph. Worth, value. So, good job, Joseph. Um, dignity means to have worth and value. God gave you worth and value. He gave you worth and value because he created you in his likeness, just as he wanted you to be. 
Now, there's a problem. Um, sin does something to us. Adam and Eve took and they ate of the fruit, it tells us in Genesis chapter 3. And when sin entered the world, something happened to us. And no offense against Barbie or anything, but um, you see, as, as humanity and sin enters the world, we tend to do things to ourselves that distort us and really just take God's image away from us. Maybe we put, okay, a lot of makeup on. Um, we think that our hair is not the right color, so we color it. Um, well, we don't like how our body looks. We're struggling to make it through life. And so we do a little extra damage to our body. And we try to end our life. Because we don't truly understand who our identity is found in. We're trying to seek it in other ways. Um, we do things to our body that makes us, I don't know, beats us up and tears us apart. And, well, quite frankly, sin just kind of destroys us. Sin just really tears us apart, breaks us down, and totally destroys the image that God made us in. <clears throat> you see, we live in a day and age when we do everything we can to destroy the image that God made us in. To the point that now we have come to humanity where a male can be a female and a female can be a male. You see, that is not God's image for us. That was not the way God created Adam and Eve in the garden. God did not create us to distort ourselves and to change the way we look because we don't like our physical appearance. God intends us to look exactly like he originally created us, exactly like the original creator of Barbie intended her to be created after her daughter. And Ken was after her son. God created you exactly how he created you for a purpose and a reason. In his image, in his likeness, that you would go and share and tell the world all about who you are and, and who he is. But we have this problem called sin. And it infects our hearts and our souls, which is why we need to guard our heart. Because it wrecks the image that God made for us. See, Jesus changes our identity back to the image that God intended us to be. He puts us back from the beginning, which leads us to step number two. You need to understand the freedom that you have in Christ. See, I went on for lots and lots of years not ever understanding freedom. I read verses from Romans chapter 6, which we're going to look at here in a couple of seconds. I read verses like Galatians 1 that said it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, no longer be subject to a yoke of slavery. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm free. But what does it mean to be free in Jesus Christ? 
When God created us in his image, he gave us freedom. Freedom that was stripped away from us when sin entered the world. Oh, sure, sin seems like it offers freedom. But in reality, does it? Who here would admit willingly that they feel like, or at some point in their life, have felt like Scripture is restraining? I know I did, especially as a young adult or a young teenager. It's like, I'm not going to do what the Bible says. That's like no fun. But you know what? I didn't understand freedom. I didn't understand the freedom that God gave me and the identity that I had in him. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God created us for good works, not bad works. Sin tells us that living for ourselves is what is right and good. The Bible tells us that seeking others' good is the right way to live. And actually the true way to live and the way that will bring us true happiness and peace. If we seek others' good rather than our own. Sin keeps us from truly being who God designed us and created us to be. Sin strips our dignity, it strips our value and worth totally away from us. And till we come to a point that we try every possible way we can to get the dignity and worth and value back that God has given us, the only problem is we make a worse problem out of it. Because we don't truly get who our identity is found in. Does that type of living really satisfy us? No, it doesn't. There isn't any amount of alcohol or drugs or sex or pornography or losing weight, trying to keep your figure that is going to satisfy you. There's no amount of partying when you get to college that's going to be fun. Oh, it seems like it's fun for a season, but in truth, it's not. Because it leads us down a path that leads us to burned Barbie rather than whole Barbie. And I know because for lots of years, I chose to live a different way than what the Bible teaches. Living for myself without self-control, doing whatever I thought would please me, doing whatever I thought was right by me. But it wasn't until a few years ago that I began to realize just how unfree I truly was and am without living God's way. Let's read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the old body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here comes some action for us. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Talking about guarding our heart here. This is part of it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law. You are under grace. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. This last week, I had the greatest privilege, one of the greatest privileges I've ever had, and that was baptizing one of our youth on Monday night. And we explained that that is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Right here, it gives us a picture. Romans 6 is not talking about a water baptism. It's talking about baptism by the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, when you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul's argument is, if we are baptized by the Spirit into the death of Jesus Christ, then isn't it also true that we are raised with him from the dead and free from sin? Absolutely. And he also goes on to say, if that's true, then should we continue sinning because we have freedom? He says, no, we shouldn't. Because the true freedom comes in living how the Bible tells us to live. Hello, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's called the Bible for a reason. I don't know if God meant it to be an acronym or not, but hey, it works, right? Freedom comes by not doing what we want to do, but by doing what the word of God says to do. Because this tells us who our identity really is found in. And how much he loves us and cares about us. And how much he has for our lives. So as you step out today in graduation and you go on from here, remember where your identity is found. Your true identity. It's not found in living for yourself. It's found in living for Jesus Christ. It's found in starting a relationship with him. You know, freedom really became... I mean, just opened up to me when I read this devotion. Um, and it's, it's from uh, uh, Born Free, 16 Principles That Help You Be Free. It's on day 15. And he talks about the love that God gave. Um, he says, for many years I was sure that God was a policeman. How many of us have felt that way? Oh, the Bible's just here to make me feel guilty. Well, it should, because sin is not natural for us. Well, it's more natural than the unnatural, but that's not how God created us. He created us to live spiritually, not in sin. And understanding that he was a loving policeman didn't help me very much. So as a recal... 
Satrant child, I worked very hard at pleasing God. I learned to pray regularly, even if it didn't mean anything, to read the Bible, even if I didn't remember what I read, and every day in every way to be a good person, kind, loving, gracious, compassionate, involved, and pure. How many of us can say we've done that? I know that's where I was at when I was a high school and junior higher. I went to him, and do you know what happened? Oh, sorry. The problem was that I was not a good person. None of us are a good person. We need Jesus Christ. We need the freedom that he offers. We cannot live in our identity that Jesus has given us if we do not choose him. Because he is what brings us back into the right relationship with God that God intended with Adam and Eve in the garden. Brings us back to that holy way of living that God intends us to live. Finally, I was faced one act for only so one can only act for so long with two alternatives: give it up and leave the policeman, totally walking away from God, accepting whatever punishment was due me, or go to him and see if I could be fixed. I went to him, and do you know what happened? He hugged me and told me that he had been waiting for me to come. He didn't bring up my sin or my punishment. He just loved me. He told me that my failure was meant to bring to him so that he could love me. My response to that kind of incredible love has been the only source of growth and obedience in my life. Growth and obedience for me have never happened any other way. And I would say that is true of my life as well. Growth and obedience and even true freedom has not happened any other way than by surrendering myself to Jesus Christ and the love of the Father. While I am still not good, I'm better. While I still don't love him or others as I ought to love, I love more than I did. While I haven't manifested all the fruit of the Spirit that I ought to manifest, you should have seen me before. My wife of 17 plus years can attest to who I was 17 plus years ago. She can tell you how much Jesus has changed my heart and my life. And changed our marriage because of it. Because I can tell you that she walked out of our house about three or four months into us being married. And was not expecting me to come get her from her parents' house. Because I was a big jerk. I still can be a big jerk. <laughs> but I'm better. And it's because Jesus has changed my heart. Because I'm learning to guard my heart and protect it and to, and to trust what he says. As I was reading that, I journaled this, and I'm going to share from my journal with you all. Uh, this was on April 23rd of this year. As I sit and ponder my life today, my person, I was in my, and, and who I was in my youth and the man I am today, I wonder what should these youth be taught? I have been free since the age of four. That's when I became a Christian. That's when I confessed that Jesus was God and that that he was raised from the dead. But I have not lived in nor embraced that freedom. I have not even understood what that meant. I mean, how can freedom be good if I am not free to live how I want, right? I mean, isn't that our thinking? Well, freedom means I can live however I want. That's what's going to make it free and fun and, and right, right? God means for me to be free from my flesh and all the evil, wickedness, and sin that goes with it. Inside that freedom seems to be restraint. But the question is, is the restraint good? My answer to that would be yes, it is good. And if so, then why is it good? 
If following God isn't about the rules or the law, then what is it really about? The deception in the garden was that God was withholding from Adam and Eve. That is the lie that the enemy used. And it was true. God was withholding from Adam and Eve. He was withholding from them the truth of what evil was. And I firmly believe, after the studies I have done, that God was withholding that from them because he knew we could not handle sin. We could not handle the knowledge of evil. So he told them, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were made to believe, Adam and Eve, that they were missing out because God was withholding from them. Same lie the devil tells us today. All of this was truth, but this truth was twisted. God withheld evil from us because he knew we could not handle it. That is truth. He withheld this evil from us because he loves us, not because he is mean or has control issues. We naturally have an appetite to sin and evil, and God understood that. He still understands that, why he tells us to guard our hearts, why he tells us to get rid of all the sin in our lives. And number the third truth was that God was protecting us. Patience goes against this natural appetite for evil and sin. But you know what? If we're going to follow God's way and being true in our identity, we have to learn to be patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit for a reason. And we naturally don't like to be patient. We don't want to wait to um, do what married couples do. We don't want to wait to be 21 to drink alcohol responsibly and legally or to smoke or use tobacco products. Our society is riddled with impatience. But the truth is, the impatience wrecks our identity and who God really created us to be. takes us to our third step and we're going to start this off with a video waffle time hey man I'd like to talk to you about something what's that well hey Cap. I think I think Bishop's trying to pull a joke on us man salt and pepper shaker won't come apart hey Toss my beer. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, don't forget to mop the kitchen after breakfast. Yes, sir. You want to tell me something? Uh, it's about your faith. My faith? Yeah. What about it? Well, I'm in. You're in? Yeah, I'm in. Are you saying that you want to be in? I'm saying I'm in. You're really in? I'm really in. Because you can't be half in and say you're in. You got to be all in, brother. I'm saying I'm all in. Oh, Caleb, I can't believe it, man. <laughs> yeah. You're my brother. I'm your brother? Yeah, man. You're my brother from another mother. But now we got the same <laughs> father. What? Uh, I'll explain it to you later, man. This is awesome. Does Catherine know? Uh, no. No, I, uh, I don't think she'd care right now, to tell you the truth. <laughs> She hasn't been taken too well with this whole love dare thing. But you're not done yet, right? No, I'm day 21 out of 40. But I'll be honest with you. Up to this point, my heart's not been in it. That's what matters. A woman can tell when you're just going through the motions. That's absolutely right. And let me ask you a question. 
did you get off to such a good start with Tina? I mean, why is it so easy for you? Uh, it's not always been easy. Marriage takes work, man. Tina is an incredible wife. But we learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Well, at least you haven't had to face divorce. I wish that were true. What does that mean? You and Tina have been struggling that much? Not me and Tina, but I deal with my first wife. What? You were married to someone before Tina? For one horrible year. I got married for the wrong reasons, then I turned around and got divorced for the wrong reasons. Man, I thought I was just following my heart. Michael, I've worked with you for five years. You've never told me that. Because I'm not proud of it. It was before I gave my life to the Lord, and man, I was just only concerned about my rights and my needs. Man, I ruined her life. But when I gave my life to God, I tried to find her, but she had already remarried. So believe me when I tell you I got a big scar. Man, God meant marriage to be for life. That's why you gotta keep your vows to Catherine. You gotta beg God to teach you how to be a good husband. And don't just follow your heart, man, because your heart can be deceived. But you gotta lead your heart. So we have to know our identity. We have to understand our freedom. But we also have to lead our heart. We have to lead our heart because it is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. It's not an option. We must lead our hearts. And part of leading our hearts is guarding our hearts, protecting them from all that the enemy and the world wants to bring and use to distort our identity. Because the enemy, the devil, does not want our identity to be found in Jesus Christ. Because he himself couldn't have it the way he wanted it. This is not the identity that you were born to live with. Not even close. But this is. Jesus restores our identity. But our heart, the center of our emotions, is deceitful. We have to lead our heart because it is deceitful. The word for, well, it says right here in the NIV, it's beyond cure. It's incurable in the in the Hebrew, that's exactly what the Hebrew word means, incurable. There is no cure for your heart. It is sinful beyond help. It is wicked and evil beyond help. Unless you know the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus Christ. And you begin to lead your heart and guard your heart towards him. You begin to lead your heart by sitting down more than five minutes a day doing your YouVersion app devotion 
and actually open this up, not on your phone, page by page, verse by verse, go through it and ask God to show you who he is and who you are, what your identity really looks like. Because that's what guarding your heart is all about. That's what the course of your life should look like because that's who God created you to be is in him. Unfortunately, we have sin that messes that up. But we have a Bible that tells us to guard our heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Protect your heart, lead your heart. It will deceive you and it will take you far off course. Minded me because I followed it. I didn't lead it. Self-control, who needs that? Come to find out every one of us needs self-control. Because our evil heart left to itself without self-control will lead us down a path we do not want to go down. Telling you from experience, I've been through some scary stuff that I didn't think I'd ever go through because of my own stupidity. Protect your heart with the Bible. Realize your need for Jesus Christ as your Savior. As I said, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, meaning that Jesus is who he said he was when he walked the face of this earth, that he is the Son of God, that he is God himself in the flesh. If you can't admit that, you can't be saved. Plain and clear. If you can admit that and will admit that, and then believe in your heart, in the center of emotions that we're talking about, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the Father, by God himself, then Romans is very clear. You can be saved and you will be saved. A simple declaration that Jesus is God and belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you can start a relationship and begin to restore your identity from here to here. Because God wants to restore you and renew you to this identity. That's what he wants for you. That's why we have a shirt that says Jesus is my ID. Which of course one of the high school kids jokes around, well, so I can go to the bar with that then? No. That's not the point of the shirt. The church is Jesus is my identity. That's who we are. That's all we will ever need is Jesus Christ as our identity. If the worship team will come, I'm going to pray for us as they're coming, if you'll pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the awesome opportunity to have our youth involved in the service today. Thank you for the heart you've given me to share about the mistakes I made. Um, God, may we just... Guard our hearts. May we cast away the sin that so easily entangles us and just come to you, run to you, and cling to you. God, we need you. We love you. You are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. And may we worship you as we sing that this morning. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.